Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, as you know, this podcast navigates a new topics through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability. My name is Anna. I am a sustainability consultant and the host of this show. We start our seventh season with an exciting interview on the Peruvian local sustainable hat brand. Today with us we have Laura Greyer. Laura is a photojournalist and photographer who launched her own sustainable hat brand, Andiana Hats. Andiana Hats was born of the shared affinity of the co-founders for Peru, its culture, energy and people. While trekking together, they came across many amazing Andean women and were captivated with their unique hats and weavings. Determined to share them with the world and to help bring awareness to these female artisans and their cultural practices, they came up with the concept of a hat company that combines their traditional hat styles and weavings. Every hat is hand-shaped or woven out of alpaca wool by Quechua artisans living in the Andes mountains of Peru. And Diana Hats is partnered with Awamaki, a non-profit organization based in the Sacred Valley, who work closely together with multiple indigenous communities of Peru to empower women. They invest in women's skills, connect them to market access and support their leadership so that they can increase their income and transform their communities. I'm super happy Laura joins us today at Sustainability Explored and will share her exciting story with all of you in a second. Hi, Laura. I'm happy to welcome you at Sustainability Explored podcast to talk about your sustainable hats brand. But first, tell me a little bit about your own story. What brought you into sustainability, into sustainable fashion? How did you start your path? Oh man, it's a it's a long but really exciting story. So just a bit about me. I'm an adventure travel photojournalist for the last 20 years, and I've been shooting with National Geographic's Artisan Catalog and around the world in all their different regions. And Peru happens to be one of them. They uh, represent artisans who are doing what they call vanishing crafts, cultural traditions that have been passed down for centuries, like um, a long neck tribe weaver or like a lava artisan making jewelry out of lava stones in Guatemala or an ancient flute maker in Bali, like the list goes on. There's thousands of artisans. I particularly fell in love with the artisans in Peru and the Sacred Valley because they are still living the way that the Incas did back in the, you know, thousand years ago. They are speaking the Inca language, which is Quechua, which is a woven and an oral language, not a written language. And so all of their weavings tell are like tapestries that tell stories. And, and on top of that, the hat culture in the Sacred Valley is just very important and really like everyone wears a hat. Like it, it says so much about you as a person if you wear a hat. And so just from all my travels down there, i already was obsessed with hats now if you can see behind me I've got stacks of them it's kind of a full-blown obsession now but I just really fell in love with the handcrafted alpaca wool hats and then their traditional weavings that are done on backstrap looms and and just was like how can we get these products to the U.S. and so that was how it all kind of started was just from my photography travels down there and numerous times I mean over the last 12 years meeting them and and finally being like wait I could I could do this. (laughs) Are you still doing the photography, going with the photography business and travel business? 
despite COVID. Oh, I know. It's funny. Um, I haven't, my last trip out of the actual country was in Peru. We were there up, up leading a women's retreat for Andiana Hats and they shut down the borders as we were there. So we barely got out of the country and we smuggled in out a lot of hats too. And that was like all of our, we now can ship again. But before that, for the last seven months, all the hats that we had were the ones that I had smuggled out because they'd shut down all the borders for shipping and everything as well. But we're doing a lot of domestic travel. My boyfriend's a travel writer and I'm you know, a travel photographer. And so we've been getting a lot of stories and things just for like what Americans can do while they're in lockdown and like road trips and things like that. So I'm still like satiating my travel wanderlust, but just not out of the country this year. Hopefully it'll start back up in 2021. Oh, let's hope all together. What does yeah. the hat mean? Is there any philosophical meaning? You mentioned it says a lot about you as a person if you're wearing a hat. Yeah, I think there's a multiple meanings. In the, in the beginning, the hats kind of came over to the Andes through the Spanish conquistadors that came over. A lot of their hat styles are very influenced by the Spaniards. But to the Inca people, they're very energetic. They're very connected to Pachamama or Mother Earth. And so they believe in you know the power of the energy of the chakras of your body, the chakras of the earth. Um, so a hat covers your third eye chakra and your crown chakra, which are the two most important for like sending and receiving energy into the universe right and they definitely believe there's an energetic like protection of yourself but also it's sort of you know it's like the tallest thing that you know connects you to heaven so there is a, a powerful status symbol to it as well but if you look at hats in the sacred valley obviously there's a lot of radiation you're really at high altitude there so i think hats are just a protective thing for one But for two, like every village has a completely different style hat. They almost have competitions with each other. They tell you, you know, whether they're important or they're married or they're engaged or if they're, you know, what village they're from, if they're an old matriarch or like how many kids they have. Like you can tell a lot about a person by the way they decorate their hat. How yeah. wonderful. So there is the whole story behind for real. Yeah. The origins, the statues and so on. Where the hats are produced? in Peru? They're produced in the Sacred Valley, but the Sacred Valley is pretty vast. Um, we work with a lot of different communities and the, the hat makers are a separate community than the weavers. There's like maestros that are, you know, families that have passed down the hat making traditions for like generations. And so we work with hat makers that hand shape the alpaca wool hats. And then we work with a lot of different, a community of weavers. Um, I should say many communities of weavers. There's probably, you know, 20 different communities of weavers that we work with to do all of our what we call intention bands that go onto the hats. Mm -hmm. And I noticed on your website that they are mostly produced by women. Is there any specific yes. you you intentionally wanted to give this work to women? I mean, I've always been about empowering women and I believe that women's education is what's going to help lift communities and people out of poverty around the world. That's just a proven fact. If you educate yeah. girls and women, it's, it elevates um, communities out of poverty. So I've always been, you know, I've, I've mentored with women. I've, I've, all of my photo retreats have given back in some way, shape or form to like an orphanage or the Women's Global Education Project or, or whatever, like different organizations that I'm are near and dear to my heart. 
But I mean, yeah, I definitely was drawn to the women and the fact that it was women made. But I mean, there's a lot of men that wear hats and there's men that make hats too. So it's not like we're, you know, not trying to support men either. In fact, supporting the women is, is helping the men. A lot of the men have been able to like quit their really low paying, hard, difficult jobs to stay home and like help with the families and the women are the breadwinners um, in, in these weaving communities. So it's kind of pretty awesome to see how the women's status is sort of elevated. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about, you know, sustainability aspect of Peru in general. What are people busy with mostly? How is the sustainability, you know, aspect there? How is it developed or not? I would say that Peru is like sustainable in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways they, they have room to grow. I mean, they're still using a lot of plastics. They uh, use a lot of paper, like they haven't moved a lot of things digitally. And I think COVID will is finally helping with moving mm -hmm. a lot of things digitally for them. But in terms of the environment and their natural beauty and resources like the Amazon River and in the Sacred Valley and all of these places, you know, they definitely are protecting and being very sustainable in those areas because they're very fragile ecosystems. And then the people that, the Quechua people themselves are extremely sustainable. Like, you know, they, if they want a bag, they weave it to carry their stuff. You know, like they're, they're not, you don't see plastic bags and trash and stuff. They literally live off the land. They farm and grow what they eat. They, they weave and, and make what they need. And it's actually pretty simple and clean way of life and they're very connected to the earth like everything they do even when they first start farming or when they eat they always make a offering like pour some chicha on the ground for pachamama and for their the apus which are all the mountain gods around them like they're very much give pay homage to like the nature and around them with everything they do so they're they're very very connected and they treat the earth with a lot of respect Mm -hmm. yeah. And the hats, where do you sell them? I understand they are mostly made for the external market, not the yeah. internal. Right. It's funny because even though in the Sacred Valley, everyone wears a hat in Peru, when you go into the cities, um, it's not really a big thing to wear hats in Lima. I feel like it's changing. We actually are in a couple stores in Lima right now, but the U.S. is getting a lot more or probably the biggest hat you know market Consumer, right now yeah. yeah i mean hats are really especially here in los angeles oh my gosh everyone wears hats here but we are selling a national geographics artisan catalog we are selling with the billy reed stores that are in, all over the u.s and we are selling online and here out of my my venice showroom um we do a lot of events here in venice since so we have a, a store down the street called yem um, that we feature our hats and so we're kind of in a few places but everywhere that we are we want we're very very particular because we want our story to be told correctly we don't we're not just trying to sling hats like we want people to know the story to be able to like read the intentions and to choose what intention they want to wear and feel very connected to their hats right i know that you have partnered and diana hats has partnered with awamaki a nonprofit mm -hmm. organization based in Sacred Valley who work yes. closely with multiple indigenous communities of Peru to empower women. Could you expand more on that? What does it mean to work with indigenous communities? What's happening there? These women are incredible. So the Quechua community, like I said, they have they don't have a written language. So trying to place an online order 
with um, very remote indigenous communities. Some of, the, some of these villages where they live don't even have roads to get there. We were like, how do we do this? So Awamaki is a nonprofit. They're based in the Sacred Valley. We basically do all of our communication through them. They're our liaison to the communities. I've been to all of the communities, but um, they will have someone, a Quechua translator, go up, they hike into the villages, they place the orders, they accept our emails and like take the color swatches and do whatever they need to do. And so without them, we wouldn't be able to do this business. And their job is they're, they're trying to find, we're not the only company that works with these weavers, by the way. Awamaki tries to find multiple companies to bring work to these women so they can earn money from home instead of having to hike eight hours to a village to try to sell some of their weavings, which is what they've been doing and being away from their families and their kids. So and sometimes they have to hike eight hours there, eight hours back and like be away from home for a couple of days just to make a few dollars, you know? So this has been a really great opportunity. Like Aomaki's been wonderful. It's actually started from a woman who's based in Seattle, who like me was an American woman who traveled down there and fell in love and was like, how can I bring you know, more sustainable income opportunities to these women. So it's been, we were so lucky to have found Awamaki and Awamaki also helps us do sustainable tours. So when, when travel kind of picks back up again, um, we can do organize homestays with the women. We can organize like weaving classes with them. We're trying to find all kinds of ways to bring more sustainable income opportunities to them. Right. That reminded me of another guest of my podcast, Danny Blue. He started an, an NGO called, he was on a mission to save 1 million acres of Amazon land. Wow. So the land that is normally should be untouchable. This is really the forest. Uh, this is for real the lungs of our planet. I was in Brazil last December, December 2019. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. A year ago, and yeah, you breathe a different oxygen there. Yep. And he was um, the U.S. guy, the guy from the U.S., from California, I think, who started yeah. this NGO. They were making bracelets, and we spoke about this same kind of connection to the nature, indigenous communities. What I don't know, like how you did it, is the communities that have no written, written language. Yeah. I know that my great 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 and you continue 13 times like that it's 13 <sighs> generations ago my great grandma she was i don't know if there is a, even a term she was that person who would recite orally uh, the sayings the poems that people oh. would create she's yeah she was quite famous there is still um that's awesome um, yeah, there are, there are little traces on the internet about her, about those poems that she would go collect, remember, and recite. And like, how in 2020 people can do business if they cannot write? Exactly. And it's not even just not writing. A lot of these women had never even knew, knew how to use money. They didn't even use money. They just live off the land. And in one way, they never really needed money. But the, as their children want to go to school, and they want to give birth and like have medical care and all those things like those things need money. And so I think, you know, Awamaki is helping them like they uh, one of the things Awamaki does is it gives them like confidence building courses. They teach them how to be entrepreneurs. They even teach them the value of money. Like how long does it take you to weave this? What would be worth it for you? Like in exchange for that, like if you were to trade that and then what would that cost? And like, I mean, like giving like a mm -hmm. value to what they do and coming up with like a price like they worked with. Yeah 
them or even how to accept change and do like a transaction, things like that, color theory, all that stuff. They've been um, working with the women. So it's pretty cool because like they're training them to be entrepreneurs on their own. They're not like our employees or anything like that. In fact, we're, and it's not a charity either. Like we're, it's not like, oh, proceeds of the hats go back to the women. We're working with them directly. They get paid first. They determine how much they want to get paid. And then, you know, it's our job to somehow get them to the United States and market them and sell them. And yeah, mm -hmm. the hard work is on us. <laughs> Absolutely. What challenges do you see in this business for 2021 or in general in the upcoming years? What's the hardest part? Well, up until now, the hardest part was shipping because it was just extremely difficult just getting the hats from there, packaging them well so they wouldn't get ruined and like shipping them. I think just growing the business would be difficult because it's sort of almost the dying art. Like not only is their language a dying language, uh, they stopped teaching Quechua in schools. And I think like a lot of Peruvians are trying to hold on to this ancient language. And so I think finding ways like this to like continue their cultural traditions and their woven language is important, but I think scaling because there's only certain people that know how to make the hats. And so if we don't teach, like find those people and have them teach other people that will get lost along the way too. I think just being able to collectively continue teaching like every generation and keeping these traditions alive is probably going to be the most challenging. Is it considered like a cultural heritage by the UNESCO or someone? The, the communities or, or the what? art, the hats itself? Um, I'm not sure about the hats. That's a good question. I know that some of the communities there, like the Quieros community, they're UNESCO. Uh, I think they're the only community out of all the Quechua communities that are considered UNESCO. And it's because they like are the most, most traditional, like they live exactly as they did hundreds of years ago. They're super remote. Like not many tourists are ever allowed to go up there. Like, in fact, I wasn't allowed to go up there, but one of the women from the community hiked all the way down so I could so I could photograph her. So, and I don't even know how someone got the message to her in the first place because they'd have to hike in there and figure it out. But there's a lot of communities that live very, very disconnected from the rest of the world. Wow. Well, yeah. that sounds so exotic. Makes me want to travel immediately. <laughs> <laughs> immediately. Oh, I know. It'll happen soon. I mean, we have to just like survive this election first and a few other things and then... There's a lot going on. Certainly. What is the goal of the business, like the, the projection? What do, What's the business dream, I would say? Our dream would be to do what we had originally started with the tours. Like we wanted to be able to, people can not only just go on the website and click and buy a hat or a band, they can click and buy a trip to go do a homestay or to go meet the women and see where your products come from. So our idea was about educating people about sustainability, about slow fashion, because that's what we're doing is very extremely slow fashion. Um, and I think it's, that's trending right now, but I think people actually are starting to care about where their goods come from, which I hope is a trend that continues on forever. And we wanted to be able to give them a really fun, exciting way to learn about how the hats are made, which is by going on a trip to the Sacred Valley of Peru. Because my business partner lives in Peru and we now work with this mother-daughter team who are tour guides and the mother speaks Quechua and Spanish. And so she can be a, a translator. It's been a really great experience doing tours with them. So that's one facet of the business. The other facet is we would love to be able to work with communities around the world. Like the hats will always be Andiana, alpaca wool, but the bands 
can be made we can have bands made anywhere so we would love to source other weavers around the world and maybe do limited edition bands or be able to to support them that's sort of where we would eventually like to grow you mentioned slow fashion that leads me to my next question how long does it take to create one hat i mean that question i would have answered last year as like three to four weeks, but it's completely dependent on their harvest schedule, the weather, if like shipping, all those things. But an actual hat, like if it's not too rainy and it's because it takes twice as long to dry if it's like rainy season. So I would just guesstimate probably about a month, three weeks to a month to make one hat. Um, and the whole drying process, the hand shaping process, the like I mean, it's before that, you brush the alpaca wool, like off your alpaca yeah. and then collecting it and then spinning it into a thread and then dyeing the thread with natural colors and, and plants and that, setting the wool and drying it and then putting it on a loom and like weaving it. And I mean, like the alpaca wool hats themselves are like hand pressed alpaca wool. They boil it, they shape it around like a wooden dowel thing that's like a they call it a norma and then they have to put like this glue kind of substance on it to set the shape and then it has to dry but it's all just like hand shaped and boiled so it's really like a labor intensive process i think the weaving probably take the longest because of the dyeing process and the spinning the wool and all that stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. my god i am i know it's a lot in fascination <laughs> As well, in general, about everyone who starts a business, who keeps growing the business, you know, keeps I mean, you have to people. really, yeah, you have to really be passionate about it because I mean, honestly, our business hasn't been profitable until recently. I mean, it takes a couple of years and a lot of your own blood, sweat and tears. And I can't even tell you how many hours I've spent in the last two years and traveling trips back and forth and all that. And it's finally in the stage where we, we can see like the traction picking up and people are like, especially in the quarantine, people love the hats, which is, we didn't expect at all, but it's, um, you have to love it and you have to be passionate about it because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of unpaid work. Absolutely. How long did it take you to lift it off the ground? Um, it was actually pretty quick because we were hiking in Peru, Pats and I, and when we came up with the idea, we were trekking the Rainbow Mountains and we, you know, we came up with the name Indiana Hats because it was like Indiana Jones and the Andes Mountains. I always called myself Indiana Jones. And so I was like, Indiana, you know, and then that was how the name happened. And we hiked back down to the village. Like our hike was like a four to five day trek. And we just sat down in Ollantaytambo, this little like Inca village with our laptops. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have to buy the domain name. We have to trademark the name. We have to do this. Like, let's come up with the ideas. And while we were there, we like met with the women and picked out some of the bands and the meanings and the intentions. And we had it like up and running. Like we had the business from conception to up and running in like two months. Um, and we had our first samples of hats made Like, I think we had like four or five hats made at that point. And then how we started from there was we took those four or five hats and pretended like we had like a lot more than four and five hats. And we basically placed a lot of pre-orders. We did like a grand event where people could see the hats and people tried them on and they just placed pre-orders. And then we took that money to like actually mm -hmm. have the first giant order made. Um, and so that was kind of how we started because we were like, how do we begin this? Like, where do we even begin? Same as Henry Ford. First, he sold the idea of the car people paid, and then he produced them. Well, sounds so cool. Seems such a as, a, as a very simple idea. 
ahead. And you said during the lockdown, the quarantine, people were suddenly buying hats, despite it being far from an essential product, food yeah. or something like that. Why yeah. do you think is that? Oh, I think it's Zoom calls like this. I think that it covers up your roots that you can't get done for many months. <laughs> I think um, I, I didn't brush my hair this morning. I just threw a hat on. So I, I think hats are like, oh, you can still be fashionable like from here to here. Because like, right now, you know, I'm actually wearing pajama bottoms like most people do on Zoom. So, you know, like you can at least accessorize this part of your body. Yeah. Right. So I think that hats actually became kind of a popular accessory because of that. But I think in general, it's something that was, you know, you could have that fun shopping experience. It's not like a full, like going out outfit when you're not going out, you know, at least you can, you can wear a hat. You can, you know, accessorize that way. Yeah. Shake it up. Like, yeah, now, now there is a hat. And again, yeah, I was thinking, you know, such a simple idea, not at all revolutionary. And yet yeah. you can take the little something and create something much bigger out of it, helping the community have this idea behind empowering women. Yeah, you don't, for everyone who is starting the business or thinking about starting something, don't go big, don't go big. Start with where you are, grab the idea and turn it into an opportunity. Yeah. And even, even like an iPhone or any product that comes out, like it starts simple or even like Instagram and then they add features along the way. And, and that's how we kind of are and have been. We're like adding products and things along the way. We actually have, I'll show in a second, these really cute hat bags that we just had made too. I had turned 40 and I was trying to think of like, okay, what were each decade in my life? Like my twenties, I was like hustling, trying to earn money. My thirties, I was really trying to build my business, uh, my photography business. And then my forties, I was like, okay, I've traveled to 82 countries. I've been all over the world. I've made good money. I've done all the things like what now? And when this idea came up, it was kind of so simple. Like I've had the means and the connections with National Geographic and everything to start this business 12 years ago. Like I could have started it a long time ago, but I think that I wasn't in the mindset of thinking like, what more can I do? Like in my forties, I wanted my forties to be intentional. I actually said that that was the word before we even came up with the intention bands. I was like, I want my forties to be intentional and I want to take my skill sets in photography, my knowledge of traveling the world, my love for empowering women, you know, and I want to do something with that. Like I want every trip that I go on to have some sort of meaning. And I had said that. And so it's not a surprise to me that everything sort of fell into place then because I was starting to think of like, what more can I do? And I think all of us have that ability. We're just, you know, so focused on kind of smaller, like me, 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 and not like, what more can I do? So like we started thinking of ideas that you can't do alone. You have to do with a lot of people working together. And then that's when change can happen. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I love this yeah. philosophy. Finally, to wrap up this interview, I enjoy talking to you so much. Oh, thank One you. piece of advice for the listeners of Sustainability Explored. I think that a little bit of what I just said is that we all have special skill sets and can do more. Even in my own photography business, when I was leading a workshop, which I'd done many times before leading photo workshops, I started just building in 
to the fee, you know, everyone would sponsor like an orphan or, or like help this girl with books for the year or whatever. And I would almost just like surprise them with the philanthropy because when you ask somebody like, Hey, can you donate $700 to books for this child? They're going to be like, Oh, that's a lot of money. I don't know. But if you say, Hey, for $3,700, I can take you on this epic journey to Nepal and we can do all these things X, Y, Z. And you're also going to be sponsoring a girl for a year. Then they're like, yeah, sign me up. And so I started realizing like I could take the same idea and like add a layer to it and make people feel good about doing, doing good and kind of force them to, to like do philanthropy. And I started doing that with my photography before the hat business. And I just felt like People don't want to have to like deal with the hard work. They want to feel like they're doing good. And so I feel like with our hats too, they, our tagline is like, look good, feel good, do good. Cause it's like everyone wins in the hat situation. Like from the people that are getting paid in Peru, the women, we're like women all over the world and like are excited about them and the women that are making them feel good and are earning money. And it's like, you know, we feel good being the business owners. So it's like sort of a win-win for everybody. That's cool. <laughs> there is a there is a saying in Ukrainian. It literally translates: the affair is in the head, means it's done. Like it's oh, simple. Oh, I like that. It's done. Uh, it just like came that. to my mind. <laughs> my business partner is actually Polish, but she speaks Ukrainian as well. So I, I should ask her about that. Yeah, so, yeah. Dial of Schlepia. Oh my gosh. The case like, you're gonna... is in the... I will write it. <laughs> okay, okay. It's like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to say that back to her. But no, but thank you so much. And I just think like the, the lesson I would want to leave with people is that we all have the ability to do more. Like it doesn't have to be such an overwhelming thing, you know, just one, even if you just like help empower, help shape one person to have a better life or two people or whatever, like you're doing something and it's better... To, I like to to fight all the negative in this world with all the all the positive things. So if we all do that collectively, it'll be a lot a lot better. And you're so right. And just now you did it with so many people that listen to this podcast to sustainability export in more than 100 countries for reels. Wow. Yes. Congratulations. You spread your word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today and I hope you loved listening to this episode as much as we loved working on it. Maybe you learned something new today or got inspired to take some action in your own life. As always, if you have any questions for me or Laura, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on LinkedIn. We both are easily approachable and findable there. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Subscribe, share on your social media, leave a review on a platform you're listening on. Reading your review will make me over the moon happy. If you review the podcast, um, this podcast on our Podchaser page, I will reply to you in person, I promise. I always suggest some other uh, related episodes. Today I'd like to draw your attention to the one episode we did last year on the super interesting UK-based fashion brand called Post Carbon Lab. Um, and the episode is called Your Clothes Can Breathe, interview on living algae-containing fabrics. Finally, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, or suggest guests or topics you'd like me to cover in the future. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 73, season 7, 
and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.